0: Passion. Analysis. Hot takes. Welcome to Political Football. And now, your hosts, Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice.
1: Welcome to Political Football with Dave, Matty Ice, and
2: Cleve. Um, how you guys doing, man? Doing good? Uh yeah, no, we're we're doing good. Um we're also doing uh quickly. Matt, you wanna explain real quick what's up?
1: Come on, Nate, get the fuck on, Nate. Let's go. <laughs> damn it. Hey Nate, you gotta hurry up, man. It takes forever. Start the motion, get
2: it going. We're running out of time. My life is running out of lifespan. So casual. Like a house mouse.
0: Yeah, um, we just recorded 40 minutes of awesome content in which I did not hit the record button. So it is out in the cosmos somewhere (laughs) and nobody heard it but us. So it sounds like
2: the Giants game plan, basically. I got to tell you guys, I gave out all the best betting tips. I mean, I got winners. I got winning lottery numbers. <laughs> I got everything, but we just don't have time to do it again. So I'm sorry to the listeners. Yeah. I think about all the money making opportunities myself. I apologize. Oh uh, shit! But speaking speaking of money making opportunities, oh, uh, so we do want to talk about the fact that the draft next year will be in Las Vegas. On twenty twenty two draft in Las Vegas, I am going for sure. Uh, we'll see if we get a political football road trip out there. So if we get anything bigger going for it, but I am going for sure. Um, so Cleve, what are your thoughts about the draft in Vegas, about us potentially going anything like that? Um,
1: I think it would be, you know, great to get out. I haven't been, I haven't been to the West coast and God, it's been about a decade or so. I think it would be great. Um, I think it would be a great experience. It's probably one of the things I want to cross off my bucket list is to go to an NFL draft. So I think that
0: would be awesome. Matt, what do you think? Uh, I've never been to Vegas, so I would probably just get Whoa. swallowed up by it and um, do all of my John Gruden impressions uh, everywhere that we went. <laughs> the, the fact that Matt hasn't been to Vegas makes this much, much more likely yeah, that we're going to yeah. do this.
2: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And
0: I've been to, I've been to Tijuana. I've just never been to Vegas, so I've seen some shit. I've just never been to Vegas. <laughs> uh,
2: the first The first time I went to Tijuana, I was nine years old, and I think it is the way I am the way that I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, think, I think it's like a huge. I think it's like a huge part of my formative years is going to one when I was nine to be like, yeah, life's gonna be awesome. Oh um, shit! <laughs> okay, so we do also want to talk about the fact that starting in 2022, so not the upcoming season, but the season after that, after we go to Vegas for the draft, Thursday Night Football will be streaming exclusively on Amazon Plus or Amazon mm-hmm. Prime, Amazon Prime. And you know, I wasn't sure how I felt about this. Because I know that the future is like, we're going to be going to streaming systems for everything, but mm-hmm. I still pay a fortune for my cable. So I just didn't know like, what you guys thought about this. Matt, what do you think about this uh, this news here?
0: I think it's the the way of the future, and I think that most people have Amazon Prime, so most likely you're going to get people to buy in. And if the weight of Amazon is behind it, then um, I think they're going to be more incentivized to make the games better. So I think it's ultimately going to work out for everybody and hopefully the viewers. Belief.
1: Yeah, I kind of sentiment that as well. Um, it's a way to kind of get away from the, the big cable box situation, uh, which which again, they're, you know, everything is streaming now. Everything is, is, is being broadcast on every type of uh, medium that you can use. So why not have this done? And again, you know, to Matt's point, um, everyone has either Prime, Hulu, uh, Peacock, whatever. Everyone has something. So it's, it's just right that we go in this direction now for, for us, for our services to be, um, amplified.
2: Yeah. And so we have the Champions League, which is European soccer is broadcast on Paramount plus the Premier League, which is English soccer is on Peacock, which is NBC's. And then, you know, ESPN is owned by Disney. So you have to assume that eventually all, all their stuff is going on in Disney plus, um, I think that you know this is just how how it's going to be, and other platforms might actually jump on by twenty twenty two as well. So mm-hmm. I think if you don't have Disney Plus and Amazon Prime right now, if you're a listener, it might be time to start trying to get in there and get a, a cheaper price before they start adding the live sports. Because you start adding the live sports, the price is going to go up. So yeah, that could be worth doing. Um, Plus, and then we if- want.
0: Plus, if you live in Jacksonville, they're trying to hire a a Disney prince on their football team at tight end. So, you know, you get a lot of exposure there.
2: (laughs) All right. Hold hold your horses, young man. We will we will get to the future governor of Florida playing tight end for the Jags (laughs) a little bit. Um, But but before we talk about that, I do want to talk about a topic. Cleve brought to my attention. that I didn't even realize And that is that no players from HBCUs were drafted this year. So, Khalif, talk about that for a minute.
1: So, obviously, you know, in the other pandemic, um, all sports, not just college sports, were were not immune from this, basically no pun intended. So, a lot of, uh, there were a list of 57 guys um, from, from the SWAC that didn't really get a look or a good look. Some of them didn't even get tape in because um you know trips were made out to certain schools and stuff like that as it goes but um you know it lends to you know should these smaller schools smaller conferences non-traditional powerhouses be given the afford the opportunity to, to to showcase their wares whether it's their own combine as that's been floated or just kind of um you know have a have a better way of getting some focus on these guys um what do you guys think about
2: you know this year not being any any HBCU players taken? So I'm not I'm not shocked by that this year because there are a lot fewer FCS players taken because FCS is currently playing, they're mm. doing their playoffs right now or wrapping it up, um, and so I'm not shocked by that this year. And also, I feel like you know the college teams will the like college teams want to recruit the top high school prospects. The top high school prospects are determined a lot in part by recruiting services. Recruiting services try to look for high school prospects that have the likelihood of getting drafted in the NFL. So you mm-hmm. end up with like the recruiting services like 24-7, Nick Saban, and the NFL all looking for the same kids when they're 15 and 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So of course they all end up in that same, that same tier. So I'm not... I'm not as surprised about this because I think it's really hard for a lot of those kids to to jump up and be that good anyways. And one thing I didn't mention in our in our rehearsal for this um is that the college teams now are a lot better at identifying the kids that are 6'1, 220, but will be 6'6, 300 in three years. Ooh. And they used to not be able to do that. And so those kids would show up like JJ watch up to Central Michigan to play tight end at like six foot tall. And then two years later, he's 6'5", 300, and a monster at Wisconsin.
0: But
2: big colleges are better at spotting those kids now. And so they don't end up at the smaller schools to develop into into monster players. Uh, Matt, what do you think about this?
0: I think uh, the more exposure that they get, um, that's the better for them. Because I think exposure usually equates to uh, being able to be seen by these NFL teams and be drafted. So... Uh, if there is a avenue to get us to that point to allow some of these, you know, elevated talent uh, within the HBCUs that they wouldn't normally get that kind of exposure uh, to give them more opportunities, I'm all for it. I, I think that it's a, you know, a problem that isn't solved right away or isn't solved by like a big name head coach. But uh, little moves here and there to help elevate some of these players who, you know, may have the will to succeed and just don't have the opportunity. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And just to know, guys, um, pre-pandemic, uh, there were 29 players uh, either on an active roster or a practice squad um, in the league that were from HBCUs. So it, it's just maybe an off year um, with the pandemic and, and everything that happened, or, you know, this may trend up. And, you know, we'll see. So we'll see for the next draft if, if this is something that is uh, for us to keep our eyes on.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, the 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 best thing that HBCUs could do to get more of their players drafted, I think is host their own combine and do something to get their, their games in front of more people. Cause playing Uh at the FCS level, the the HBCUs are not the best teams at the FCS either. Like they're not going to beat North Dakota state on Mm. a a regular basis. Um, So I think they would do really well to try to get onto a streaming service that features black content, yeah, right? Something like that, right? Sort of go back to Amazon thing, like do some way to get you in front of other unique people. Cause the thing is like, can anybody, can either of us name anybody who currently plays for HBCU?
0: No? I
1: mean, I I mentioned uh, uh, Cam I knew his little brother, um, Kalen, he plays for Howard, but I, I only knew that because I, I, I saw the article and he right. was one of the 57 that was noted.
2: Right. I can name third string defensive backs on like San Diego State, but I don't know a single player that plays it for an HBCU. So if I'm not seeing them, like nobody's seeing them. Right. I love college football. I love black people. Like obviously I should be like this should be I should be their person and I'm not seeing it either. So, you know, Mm. I think that there's a lot more problems uh, behind it than just than just that. And Is the, that um, going to
0: be the epitaph on your grave, Dave? I love college football <laughs> and I love black people. That'll be great. I mean, <laughs> pr-
2: probably, probably. If, if, if it's not fuck Ohio State, yeah, it'll probably be, it'll probably be that. Because I'm, at, the rate, at the rate we're going, if I live to be like 85, Michigan might only beat Ohio State two or three more times. So I'm going to be really salty. Um, <laughs> great. Uh, so speaking of Ohio State football making me angry, Urban Meyer. Is the head coach Oof. of the Jacksonville Jaguars and he has made the the decision
0: to bring Tim Tebow in to play tight end. Sure. Man, I
2: know you got thoughts on this.
0: Well, I understand his stature in the state. I mean, I, I do understand it. I do understand that college football is huge in the south and all that. But I guess I wonder if there's a limited ceiling to what he does on the team. So, okay, he gets eyes on the Jaguars, but if they go two and fourteen, who cares? Yeah. So
2: I I think. I don't think that Jacksonville is betting on Tim Tebow being the reason they win or lose. I think it's what Trevor Lawrence is for. I think that because college football is dominant in the state of Florida, Jacksonville's trying to get some attention turned onto them. So bringing in the legend of the local college football team really helps them with that. Bringing in Tim Tebow to the Jaguars is going to get Florida fans to pay some attention to Jacksonville, who don't really deserve it, and so. So does Trevor Lawrence. So you bring in Trevor Lawrence, which everybody in Florida knows because they're college football fans. You bring in Tim Tebow. And, you know, I think it's a good way to get people paying attention, talk about the Jags. You get some coverage from ESPN. You know, white Twitter loves Tim Tebow. So we will start talking about Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that it's good. It's good for that reason. But Cleve, I don't think that it's going to matter too much for the football side of things.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I'm on the other side of the coin with this, with the Tim Tebow thing. I mean, I actually like Tim Tebow. I think he's, I think he's awesome um in, in his own right and he obviously was a hell of a college football player as a pro middle of the line guy uh, I just think about the th- and we just segwayed off of how many kids that didn't get a look there's so many people that go undrafted that don't get a chance um at all in in any situation whether it's HBCUs or not that Tim Tebow at 33 years old can walk into a situation and if he doesn't make the squad he's going to be some kind of special assistant or mascot or whatever you want to call it no disrespect to tim tebow but it's like i just look at the uh the good old boy network on how you can make a phone call to a guy whoever called who and next thing you know he's on a plane to jacksonville and he's being worked into the into the fold i'm pretty sure urban's gonna have him around as some type of some type of um some, some type of capacity i also think about you know, the first time that Tim goes up to uh, Trevor Lawrence is like, "Hey, uh, that's not how you do that." And Lawrence goes, "I got it. <laughs> I've never lost a game until until college. I only lost two games in my entire career, so um, I got it." So I, I just think about what you said about how huge um, Tim Tebow is in the state of Florida, and and he's probably the working man's hero and and all of that. But I just think about how many people um, can make a phone call to someone. That they know and be put in a position that a lot of people don't have access to
0: i think you've got it all wrong on tebow's uh, future if he doesn't make the roster he is clearly going to be playing the live character gaston at magic kingdom in orlando like that's obviously <laughs> what he's gonna be doing he's gonna go right down there he's gonna play yeah he's gonna be fine he's gonna be just fine
2: <laughs> I, I i bet tim tebow refuses to play a villain He'd be like, "No, I have to be the beast. I have to be the beast. I can't. I can't be guest on. That's bullshit. I can't. I can't do that. And he uh, won't want
0: to get paid for it either. It'll take yeah. away from the the good feeling of working at Disney. I wouldn't want to get paid to do that. <laughs>
2: Listen, everybody knows, that, and everybody knows that you have to start out as Lumiere and work your way up. You don't get to I'm just like, call yes. as one of the stars. Yeah, I start as Lumiere or the damn clock, and then you work your way up uh, uh, from there. Excellent." Okay, so a couple other things I did want to talk about here. And for everybody else now, this will be evergreen stuff. This is stuff we have not talked about yet um, during our rehearsal. The first is that the NFL is offering Super Bowl tickets uh, for getting vaccinated.
1: Um, What? Are you kidding?
2: Yeah, so so go to NFL.com if you're not vaccinated yet. Go to NFL.com, figure out where it is in your local area or whatever. I think only like... They only give away really a few tickets, but still it's worth it's worth a shot. The thing that I thought was interesting is that this idea does not come from the NFL. This idea came idea came from President Biden. Wow. And so, like, one, why didn't the NFL think about this on their own in the first place? Because it seems yeah. pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh and two, I like this is a way where like the nfl and the white house together to do something good like you're not calling the players sons of bitches and all this yeah. other stuff you're just like hey you can help me get you know you can help things get get turned around here let's go ahead and do this so if you're listening and you're not vaccinated like i said go to nfl.com figure out where to go and you might be able to win super Bowl tickets for putting off getting vaccinated assholes that's insane
1: man wow i mean good for them i mean they're, they're trying everything in because uh, I think there was a, a, a situation where a lot of people got their first shot and then just said, fuck it, I'm not getting my second one for some reason. Yep. So, I mean, you have to incentivize in some kind of way. But I always said that, you know, a lot of people go by their doctor's um, stuff as, as like gospel. So if you're, you know, if your PCP is telling you, hey, you know, the vaccination is cool. Why not have it done in their office? You know, like just go where you can be, tr- you know, you trust the source. Whatever, so I don't know. Good for them, man. They're coming up with some ingenious things to get people to uh, to get to herd immunity. It's awesome,
2: man. What did uh? What do you think about this idea of the of the White House really reaching out to sporting leagues to help increase vaccination
0: rates? Uh, it's a sad commentary that that's where we are. That there's enough people that either aren't going to get it or are just plain afraid of it that we have to incentivize with super bowl tickets and by the way i just want to say i'm really pissed that i could have gotten super bowl tickets and all i fucking got for my vaccine was a 20 off coupon at cvs
2: shit you're, you're lucky that they gave me a lollipop I, told me to get the fuck out
0: nice man,
1: man,
2: listen all i got was this 5g bill gates tracking device so really <laughs> you
0: guys should stop complaining <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, I mean, oh. it's, it's fine. It's a good idea. I mean, it's a it's a good idea if that's what we feel like we have to do. It's just more, to me, a sad commentary that we have to go to these lengths when it seems like it should just be a either you get it or you don't get it. And if you don't want to get it, fine. Go on and live your life. I certainly hope you don't die from COVID. But uh, if you got one and you're not going to get the second, like, I don't I just don't understand that. Like, that what, yeah, so crazy. So
2: I, I actually do understand understand where people come up well, with that. No, so. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not like the correct decision. You should get no. both shots. But, you know, the second shot, you typically have a worse reaction, right? The second shot tends to make people sicker than the first shot. So if you get Mm. the first one and you do end up getting, uh, you know, feeling not really good from it. Now you're staring down the barrel three weeks later of it being even worse. And you like have a job where they're like, you can't call out, you know, we're going to fire you or anything like that. Or you got child Mm. care concerns and you're like, well, I can't get the second shot. I can't be even sicker the next time. Which is not yeah. guaranteed to happen at all. Like, it actually probably won't. You just got it the first time. But, you know, I can see where people start to think that. And that's a, like, public education campaign. So where people mm-hmm. just realize that they shouldn't do that. Also, if you get the vaccine and it makes you sick, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because that means that your body is reacting. And if you get sick from the shot, that's a lot less sick than you would have gotten from the actual disease. Mm. So... Like me, when I got the second shot, either shot, I didn't get sick at all. I got no effects at all, at all. That means that I probably would be asymptomatic, if most likely, if I got COVID nineteen. But if you got the shot and you were like out of commission for two days, well, if you got COVID nineteen, you might be out of commission forever. Mm. So be happy you got sick. That means that you actually really needed this vaccine and you took care of yourself. So yeah, yeah. Um. So I do want to talk about an argument i got into not really an argument more of a kind of an argument a, a debate with my boy alex so i have a uh college football dynasty league and my my friend alex is one of the the participants and so first of all alex is really smart like super sharp you know long-time professional poker player still his poker coaching you know he was on espn um you know, you can see him playing the main event, stuff like that. It's like, this guy's very sharp, really smart. He's a big Giants fan. So, Giants fans, here you go. I'm going to talk about the Giants. He, Alex, loved the pick of Kadarius Tony. I said last week that the pick of Kadarius Tony, the wide receiver from Florida, was the worst first-round pick since, I couldn't even remember, but I think since Cleveland Farrell went fourth overall to the Raiders in 17 or 18 I don't remember um but terrible 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 mm. terrible, terrible pick so it, I want to give his points and then my counter argument I want your guys' opinion on this as well because I think that this is an area to where a lot of people can get caught up in falling for some of these things like they've fell for it so first of all like do you guys have any initial thoughts on Kadarius Tony player pick was the draft the first time you heard of them anything like that
1: i only have what what you are what you were talking about um the night of the draft um I, re- I remember how you were you did say that this was a bad pick it was probably not a need that type of thing so other than that i, I really
2: don't have any
0: more thoughts yeah, on I'm it the same. i'm the same
2: uh, okay so yeah so that's the thing like i because the show, our show tends to focus more on NFL. We don't have a lot of people who watch college football a lot listening. And so, like Kadarius Tony, you might have only seen the highlights. And the thing is, he has some sick highlights jump, cutting, juking, whatever. It looks kind of like Dante Hall, right? Mm. Just just absolutely disgusting. Not as fast as Dante Hall, but like that cut, jump, back and forth sort of moves. He's got it. Um, so, Alex's point were that Kadarius Tony is a unique weapon that the Giants don't currently have. Okay, he said that Kadarius Tony will attract attention on jet sweeps and other sort of plays like that, that will open things up for their star players like Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay. Um, and then he said that the Giants are already going to be good this year, so they could afford to use that pick on a luxury pick after having traded down with the Bears, so the Bears can get fields and picking up more draft capital for next year. They could use this pick on a player that like is more of like a gimmick gadgety piece than Mm -hmm. like going to start on the offensive line. So, you know, I disagree with these points, but I see where he's, I see where he's, he's coming from. But the main thing is that the giants could have gotten Kadarius Tony later in the draft. And this is a big thing that when we, when we talk about the NFL draft, we talk about wanting to get value at, at your at the place where you're drafting. You know, the Giants traded down to 20 to get draft capital for next year. Alex and I agree that this is a that, that was a great thing to do. The thing is, is that they could have traded back to 23 with the Vikings, who are desperate to come up to get Christian Derrisa out of Virginia Tech Matt, or they could have traded back to 37 with the Bengals. Because if you remember with the Bengals, the talk was like, do we get Jamar Chase or do we take Panay Sewell? Well they could have taken Jamar Chase and then traded up and gotten the third best offensive tackle prospect on the board in saw right? But the Giants didn't even think to do it. Um, so like Cleve, if the Jets had traded up from like the pick from pick 34, given up some draft picks next year to come up and get the third best offensive tackle in the draft, would you have been happy with that?
1: Yes, because we because
2: our first pick was a quarterback right exactly so like the jets are a team that they could have traded up for for something like this uh matt would you have been happy if the patriots had traded up to come back into the first round here to take another high level prospect even if that meant giving up like a first round pick next year
0: probably I, mean, I guess it would depend um you know they're, they're that generally isn't what they do but like a good example is when the ravens traded back in didn't they trade back in to get lamar jackson Uh, to the first round right or something like that yep so but Dave I I totally understand your point here but I think the other side of it too is that like when you're a fan of a team I mean I think you are over analytical more than like a lot of fans are but even so um you know it's a crapshoot a lot of times like if you look at the data as as it relates to positional you know positional value uh, how many of them are in the league after a certain amount of time, like the average length and all that, um, you know, they could have taken him later. And I think that that is a solid argument for sure. But, you know, whether he, you know, if he makes it or not, it is one thing, but also this is what I was talking about last week about how, like their strategy to the draft and there is definitely merit to that, but then the scouting part of it. And I don't necessarily trust a lot of the scouts or coaches or anybody to really know what they're doing because, It's like a 50% rate of success, which is, I guess, not great, to be honest with you. So um, it's, it's hard because as a fan, you want to just be positive and you want to say, all right, we got this guy. I think he's a good, you know, he's a good asset for what we don't currently have, which I understand that from the Giants perspective. But then when you look at the Giants draft history and like even after winning the Super Bowl, like they basically have no players that they drafted on their current squad that they drafted in like the last before like 2016 or something like that. So clearly mm. clearly their draft classes, you know, they had three like I was looking at it, it was like 3 years max for a lot of these guys. That's tough cuz you'd hope to have them a little bit longer than that especially when you're picking, you know, first, second, third round guys every single year. Yeah. But here's the here's the thing, at the wide receiver position especially
2: you there are things that you can do to better predict who will be a success and who won't be a success, right? There actually is some, some predictability at the wide receiver position and those aspects, Kadarius Tony doesn't have it. Okay. So, and this is, this is the, the main thing I wanted to talk about here, both for scouting for dynasty fantasy football, this applies, it applies to real football. When you're looking at the wide receiver position, Kadarius Tony is a bad prospect right? He's athletic, like he's got good jump cuts, but he's a bad prospect. I'm going to go over why. First of all, his breakout age is 21.6. That means that he was 21 and a half years old when he finally broke out in college. Breakout age is the age at which you achieve a 20% dominator rating. Dominator rating is very simple. It's a combination of the team's yards and touchdowns at a position. So you add up all the teams receiving yards, all the teams receiving touchdowns. If you have 20% or more of that, you have broken out. In the NFL draft, you if you broke out before the age of 20, you have a much, much better chance of hitting in the NFL than afterwards. The earlier, the better. The later, the worse. Tony is 21 and a half. That means that he could not get targets in college until he was a senior. Right. He did not break out until his senior year. So the reason for that is like, okay, he's got great players ahead of him that are blocking him, great wide receivers. This could happen in Alabama when you have like Julio Jones and Amari Cooper and then Calvin Ridley and then Jerry Judy and then Jalen Waddell. Like you got everybody blocking you, right? The thing is, yeah. in Florida, he was blocked by Freddie Swain and Van Jefferson. Cleve, what NFL teams do Freddie Swain and Van Jefferson play for? I don't know the St. Louis Cougars because I have no clue. Exactly, exactly. Swain is like wide receiver five on the Seahawks, and Van Jefferson is like wide receiver four on the Rams. Like, wow. like the, the he was not being blocked by better by a lot of better players. It's okay that he wasn't the number one target on his team this year because of Kyle Pitts. But the fact that yeah. he could not, the fact that he could not earn targets ahead of Freddie Swain and Van Jefferson when he was younger. Is a huge problem. He can't beat out Freddie Swain and Van Jefferson, but now he's going to get the ball over Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton, and Sterling Shepard, and Evan Ingram. Like, what, what is he going to do? He's going to not get these targets in college and then come into the NFL and start dominating the ball over so, Saquon Barkley.
1: So, so you're, so you're, I guess your argument in a nutshell is that he wasn't. He, like there was should have been no trade up for him, obviously, and also like the need to have him on the squad with with the names that you just spotted out. Exactly.
2: So, so from from the Giants' perspective, if if the Giant the Giants need to win now for Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge to keep their jobs. Oh yeah. Right. So they need that to win. To like, spot to they sell. need to win right now. If they suck this year, they are all fired. So if they assume that they're going to be good this year. Then you want to draft somebody else that can help this year as a complimentary piece to the team, right? Mm-hmm. Offensive line, defensive line, good depth, something like that. If you think they're going to be bad this year or you are you don't want to run the risk, you want to draft somebody who can actually come in and start and play right away and help the team this year. They drafted a backup slot receiver, which doesn't help them in either case, right? So they could have traded down again, gotten more draft capital and taken the risk on getting him later in the draft they didn't do that they take him here so alex and i have a bet and matt you said that i'm overly analytical the thing is so is alex i mean he's a huge fan of the giants but as a poker coach he's very analytical so we have a bet and he took over six and a half receiving or rushing touchdowns for Kadarius tony this year i took the under Would either of you guys like to join our side of the bet one way or another? Either seven or more touchdowns for Tony this year or six or fewer. Do either of you guys want to jump in on this bet? No.
1: Nah, I, 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 um, I'm not a betting man when it comes to, see, I think, I think you, you're saying that and I said it just now, like you're you're saying that he could have been taken at another. Like basically, they wasted a pick. Exactly, they, they wasted a pick, a pick in a
2: year that they must win to keep their jobs.
1: Yeah. So, but I guess my my question or or my follow up thing would be, like obviously, you're not a Giants fan. He is, so he's more vested in the pick. He's more vested in in, in the win, the win, the windfall that's gonna should happen from it why do you care that they wasted a pick because it wasn't like Detroit made the pick and you're like, Oh my God, this is, this sucks. Like, so why, you know, what, what, what got you all riled up about it? That they wasted oh, a pick.
2: So the thing, the thing that got me all riled up about it is that um, I co-host a show called Political Football. It's a podcast where we discuss politics and sports and football and combine them together. I'll send you a link please. You can check it out. I think will Yes, really please like it. do. Um, and so because, because of this, I really followed the draft closely. And I do anyways, but I also follow it closely so I could talk about it on the show. And Mm -hmm. so, when I said on the show that Kadarius Toney is the worst first-round pick in years, and then he came back and said somewhere else, and he was like, hey, I love this pick. This is going to be great because three times a game, he'll touch the ball. And by the way, if the Jets or the Patriots are playing the Giants and the ball doesn't go to Saquon Barkley or Kenny Galladay, that is a win. Like... (laughs) Like, of course, please give the ball to Tony. If you're playing the Lions, give it to him 30 times. Don't give it to Saquon. Don't throw it to Kenny G. Don't throw it to Evan Ingram, right? So that's the reason why I care so much is that it really just creates a good a good situation here. I actually don't care about the Giants one way or another. I don't hate the Giants, right? I hate the Cowboys. I don't hate the Giants. Um, mm. But that's the reason why I was getting so riled up about it. But I also wanted to bring it up here to talk about the fact that you can There are things, especially at the wide receiver position, that you can look at. And the thing is, if you cannot earn targets on your college team as a freshman or a sophomore, you probably can't earn them in the NFL either. Well, it it makes sense. Well, I would say so.
1: This is barring a situation where there's injuries, um, like we saw last year, like just like San Fran, a couple of guys went down. So, in the event that some guys go down. He's gonna. He could get targets. He's no. Okay. You know, he, he could be called up to. You know. Hey. You know what, kid? You weren't expected to do a lot this year, but
2: you got to step it up because we have no one else. So the thing is, is that for the wide receiver position, targets always concentrate on the best available players. So let's say that there's like a hundred targets to go around, right? Mm-hmm. And Tony's only going to get five of them but then Darius Slayton gets hurt. Darius Slayton's targets won't get split evenly amongst everybody else. Kenny Galladay will get 80% of them. Mm. Right. And then say Evan Ingram gets hurt. Then Kenny Galladay will get 80% of those. Right? Galladay will just become a total target monster in that case. It's not like they're mm. going to split it up and start giving it out to Tony. Right. Because gotcha. you get involved in your best players. So you are right that it can help in that case. But something else I want to talk on, I want to talk on briefly is like, I want to talk about Terrace Marshall, who's a wide receiver from LSU, true junior, breakout age 19.2. He was a second-round pick of Carolina, right? Breakout age 19.2. This was his stat line in 2019 for LSU. 46 catches, 671 yards, 13 touchdowns. 46, 671, and 13. That team had Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson on it. Right. Justin Jefferson, best rookie in the rookie receiver last year in the NFL. Jamar Chase, first wide receiver off the board this year. This kid is a true freshman. I'm sorry, is a as a uh true sophomore, 46, 71, 13. That is a player that can succeed in the NFL because he was able to get targets on a loaded team and still do and still do a good job with them. I would much rather have Karis Marshall than Kadarius Toney for those so, reasons. So uh, so I guess it could be condensed to that. You're talking about
1: not only the trust factor, um, but the experience like having, you know, like it, it won't translate to the NFL. If you didn't do it in college, you're not going to pretty much
2: do it here, like in, you, in the NFL. If you can't do it in college at the wide position until you're old, it's yeah. going to be very hard for you to do it in the NFL at all. So gotcha. that's why I really wanted to bring this up here was to talk about that aspect of looking at these prospects, right? Um, you mm-hmm. want players that broke out at a younger age and, you know, had a high dominator rating. Kadarius Tony just didn't do it. And that's, and he also can't run routes. I even let that part out. Like he sucks. Like he's just not even good at football. Well, uh, that's more well, well Daniel season. Jones is throwing to him. So, <laughs> well, that could help because Daniel Jones can't throw the ball in 10 yards downfield. So that could actually, <laughs> that actually work out. So anyways, I just want to bring that up here. Um, uh not the boss on alex so it is kind of fun um Mm. because because he is like one of the sharpest people i know but i do severely disagree and these are the reasons why uh matt do you have anything happy for us to talk about before we get out of here
0: uh i do have something on this topic very quick we have four minutes oh yeah go ahead um Mm. so the riot report uh, i went and did some research and they they looked at every draft from 2011 to 2017 to sort of look at um success rates based off of pro football focuses um approximate value calculation which is kind of like war in baseball where it's trying to put a singular value on somebody right so just to give you an idea they looked at uh every player drafted in the first round by position and whether those what percentage of those players reached a uh approximate value of five so just to give the listeners an idea aaron donald's approximate value last year was 20 so now it takes you you know <laughs> what i mean so like yeah and brady's was only 15. so it kind of gives you an idea that five is uh, pretty achievable
2: what but. was eric since uh since I'd we passed an error down with eric Ebrard. it's fine i'd,
0: I'd have, have to, to look. we can look at it anyway but the interesting part about it was uh, wide receiver was the second lowest uh percentage of first round picks that actually made it to that five uh approximate value per year metric which is interesting because the the other position that was lower was uh cornerback And Dave, you had said it, you know, previously that those are two positions of need that you have to take a swing on in the first round. But yet, even with all these metrics that you're talking about, we're still not really getting it right on a consistent basis because 34% of those guys picked in the first round at wide receiver basically never really achieved full-time starter status over the course of you know their career. So like. I get what you're saying. In this singular instance, like this one particular guy is not somebody who should have been in the first round. But even so, historically, uh, the drafting is not getting any better at that particular position, despite the fact that it's a one you want, you're want, you willing to take a risk on because it is such a high position of need.
2: Can you see on that list, can you see the wide receivers that did make that number?
0: I can't, but the interesting one is 2014 was the highest. It was like 80%, and that was the year that Odell Beckham was pit- taken. So that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, so
2: that's, um, but it, so that's so that's yeah. walk Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
2: Brandon Cooks. Yeah. Right. So oh, exactly.
0: But it was just interesting to look at it as a spread over time and realize like that the whole the totality of all positions was 49% in the first round. So that tells you that less than 50% of those guys reached like some semblance of what pro football co- fo- focus considers like a good starter. But let me move on because I just want to put that out there because it like it doesn't kill the argument. It just sort of is an interesting facet because it's like it proves the argument and also makes you think about, well, how are we drafting? So good, hey, good hey, stuff. Hey, go
2: ahead. Hang on one, one second here before I just I'm going to Mike Evans because you brought up 2014.
0: We have less than a so minute. I'm just
2: po- OK, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Uh, so Mike Evans breakout age in college was 18.7. There you go. Right. Yeah. Freshman. Yeah. Go.
0: So yeah. there you go. So there interesting go. stuff. So good feeling. So Cleve, I think this is a good story. I find it completely relatable, but you might not because you're a Jets fan. But head coach Robert Sala, apparently after his like first practice or something, said that after you know the practice is over everybody you know is getting huddled up to listen to the head coach and he gets in line with everybody else to listen to the head coach and then he goes oh shit i'm the head coach and he's got to go up there and speak. Not good no no <laughs> because it was very relatable in like when you get promoted and it's like you're not used to being in that position and then it's like oh wait a minute that's actually me and i the way that he described it was very um very relatable to me and i didn't it didn't seem incompetent it just seemed like a Oh, you know, I I never thought I would kind of be here, and now that I'm here, it's like I'm not used to that. I'm used to being the one listening to the you know the coach talking. I thought it was uh, something that I've gone through. So you know, and you kind of were like, all right, yeah, that's yeah. me. I can actually I can actually be the guy here. Yeah, I, I can
1: I I can get behind like the guy's into enthu- you know he's enthusiastic about his position. I mean, but the gaze Presser is undefeated. So yep. So I can I can give him a pass because the gaze Presser undefeated. Undefeated. Can we do
0: that before the season starts? Can I do my top 10 worst press conferences ever? Slash Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that would be Anyways. great. Anyway. like
2: it's as I can bite kneecaps, we can do
0: that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh <laughs> uh, so that's it.
2: Yeah. Uh, Brandon Cooks, 18.9 breakout age. Kadarius Tony, 21.6. Tony sucks. He's going to be a bust. Calling it right now. Put it on tape.
0: Jesus. And, and that's political football, ladies and gentlemen. Tune in next week. Yeah. Political Football is exclusively owned by Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice and is brought to you by Matty Ice Media.